AI is really IA, and IA stands for intelligence augmentation. So it wasn't artificial intelligence, it was intelligence augmentation. And that was really kind of cool because that reinforced a theme that I heard some of the others, like Chris Penn and Andy again over at Orbit, talking about this is not your replacement. This is a tool to make you faster, smarter. Imagine if you want to run a a four-minute mile and if you could put some special shoes on and some braces on your legs and all of a sudden you become the bionic man on an avatar, it just makes you run that faster. You can do more. You can be more places. You can achieve more than what you could without it. Hello and welcome to Banking on Disruption. I'm Fred Cavenna. Holy moly, we have an amazing episode for you this week. First and foremost, I will give an apology. If you're a regular subscriber, yes, this episode will drop, has dropped on Thursday, February 22nd. We usually try to drop these episodes first thing in the morning so people on the East Coast can listen to them on their commute around 5, 5.30 a.m., on that Thursday morning every other week. This week, I am recording this intro at 9 p.m. Wednesday evening, and the reason I'm doing it is because of our guest. This week, we invite Eric Cook not to be participating as a panelist, but to be participating as a guest. And Eric spent most of this week out in San Diego, enjoying regrettably not the sun and cool breeze you would expect from San Diego, lots and lots of rain. However, what he did experience was social media marketing world 2024. And he was so like over the top blown away with ideas and thoughts of how banks and other financial institutions can take all those concepts that we could not wait to get on the podcast and start to share some of those with you. So Eric Cook is engaging in an amazing conversation. You're going to want to get your pen and your your paper out for this or take your iPad out to take some notes because there's a lot of amazing and interesting insights and findings. Very last thing, I'll kind of tease this at the end of the episode. He gives an amazing framework for thinking about how to use the different modalities in Instagram. And that's just one takeaway. Unfortunately, due to his travel schedule, my travel schedule, we don't have a quick takes roundtable this week. Kind of funny. Last week, we didn't have an interview. This week, we don't have a roundtable. I will get everything together. And I promise you, audience, next week or two weeks from now, when our next episode drops, we will have a complete uh, episode with an interview and a quick take segment. However, uh, without further ado, I am going to let you hang tight and check out Eric Cook. So sit back and strap in because our episode is coming to you right now. And welcome back. This week I am super excited and so excited that this episode might be coming out a little bit later on Thursday because my editor needs a little bit of time to put it together. But I am sitting here at like 7.30 p.m., Wednesday, February 21st, with our friend, our mutual good friend, Eric Cook, long ago guest, ongoing panelist, marketing guru to the to the banks and, and credit union world, and fresh off the plane from probably 18-hour days all week long 
at social media marketing world. And I saw his LinkedIn post a couple days ago about how full of excitement and notes he was and how he's been working on bankifying. And I'm like, we got to get this podcast in as soon as possible. So I twisted his arm. You know, he's full of, of Sky Club cappuccinos and not much sleep. So Eric, welcome back. Hey, I, uh, I'm excited to be here. And uh, because my eyes are crossed right now, because probably due to the lack of sleep, it's good to see the both of you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you. Well, I appreciate you making time to like do this as quickly as possible after the conference. But I always love to like get those quick takes. Now, this is a conference, you know, and, and it's funny, like I, I'm thinking about like the conferences I'm going to, like you know, CBA Lives coming up and Financial Brand and others, this is not a banking conference. So tell me a little bit about like your history and why you go. Yeah, it is not a banking conference. So a gentleman by the name of Michael Stelzner, who was previously known as uh, the king of white papers, writer, did just a ton of that, decided many moons ago to create this entity called Social Media Examiner which I often refer to as a financial brand type of an environment, but for digital marketers and social media people. And Social Media Examiner is a treasure trove. If you want to know what's going on in Facebook, Facebook, we'll post that at that, right? Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, any of the trends that are going on, in the social world of what's working, what's not. He does an industry report every year, which I think is now in its 18th, 20th year, maybe. Don't quote me. Sorry, Michael, I should know that, but I'm spacing on that right now. I honestly don't remember how I heard about the conference, but I attended my first one in 2018. Went to San Diego, a colleague of mine from the WSI ecosystem, our agency network, joined me. And we were both blown away. And I said, this is an event that I'm going to continue to go to up until it went virtual over the COVID. It was like the last physical event I attended in 2020. They actually had another medical conference going at the at the lower level at the convention center in San Diego. I don't know what they were doing, but they were walking around with masks and were like, what are you guys doing? What's the big deal? I don't. And then the whole world shut down. But it was great to be back. I couldn't go physically in person last year. I attended virtually. And it was really nice to just be back in person. A colleague of mine from Mexico City flew up. And so we were together for two and a half days. Sunday was workshops, hour and a half. Monday, Tuesday, breakout sessions. So you've got to pick your poison where you want to go. But the all-access ticket that I bought provides me with the recordings and the slides and the audio and the transcripts. So the learning certainly is not going to stop now that I'm back from San Diego, but I'm the proud owner of a 100 plus page document that I typed and took pictures with my iPad and the brain, as we all know, when we come back from an awesome event is just chock full of ideas and thoughts and how I can, like you said, bankify it, which is what I see myself as predominantly doing for our customers is taking the world of banking, taking the world of digital, blending them together and saying, how can we turn this into something a bank can use with compliance and regs and privacy and security and culture 
and all of the other things that are unique to the banking industry because sometimes we just simply can't. But my job is to try to figure out how we can and still keep a job. Yeah, no, I love that. And and it's funny. Uh, so I, I first heard about Social Media Examiner. It's probably been every bit of 12 or 14 years ago. It was shortly after, a few years after I moved to Chicago. I was definitely you know involved in a lot of like, in-person networking there, met a lot of people in marketing. And, and at the time I was still working on the, on the client side of financial services, you know, working for, a, at the time, Options Express, but really, you know, dug in. It, it was a treasure trove of information back there, admittedly. And I'll apologize to Michael as well. It's kind of fallen off of my list of things to, to, to read in on, you know, day over day and, and week over week in the last few years, but it's, but it's back on the radar. And I will say that between your your posts and your excitement and our texts back and forth, you you hooked me. I've I registered, so you know, barring any complications, I will be there in in twenty twenty five. So you're uh, you're kind of stuck with me then. Awesome. That means I get to attend two conferences together with you because we'll be together in the forum at the forum in Vegas. So can't wait. Um, can't uh, wait. That'll be, that'll be awesome. So, so let, let's dig into some of the meat, you know, and I've got a, a lot of like more detailed stuff. Like we went through the, the, the agenda a little bit and talked about like some of the high points, but just like, as I mean, a I'm, not gonna read, I'm, I'm not going to read my hundred pages of notes today. You know, that- we'll, 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 we'll publish that as a special addendum episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think my Grammarly hates me right now because <laughs> it pulls that thing up and, you know, typing on an iPad from your lap at a conference never goes well in yeah. the eyes of Grammarly, but it's all I, I am I am I am sure it is it is all perfect prose. It is it yeah. is ready to publish content. Um okay. Okay. <laughs> so so what what did you see like like valuable or I'll even say like surprising trends or strategies that you heard about that you're planning to introduce to your your clients? I don't and, and, you know, I saw this question and we talked a little bit about it. I'm trying to think what, what surprised me. I think I got a lot of validation and reassurance. The, and I'm going to kind of skip ahead. Michael Stelzner, he did the morning opening session on Monday. So we had the workshops on Sunday. He did the morning opening session. The thing that surprised me about his, but it makes total sense, and there's not a shocker here, a lot of reference to artificial intelligence and how AI is permeating its way. Not every session talked about it, but a lot of them did. But one of the things that Michael is always doing is he's always testing. He's always trying new things, and that was one of the common themes is as marketers, the world is crazy. Tools are overwhelming. We feel like we're less in control now than we ever have. But as marketers, that should be the world that we're comfortable in. We're always trying new things. We're always experimenting. We're not in compliance or legal for a reason. We're in marketing. <laughs> and so the yin no and the yang. my compliance friends or my legal friends. But he did some testing over the last year and he started testing with some heartfelt video content, just going to turn on the camera. I'm going to talk and I'm going to talk and share what's going on. Not going to be formatted. Did it for several months, went back and looked at the results. Didn't work. Failed miserably. And everybody was like, oh, genuine, you're humble, you're, or you're vulnerable. Everything's going to work great. Didn't work. So 
He should have tried like hopping out of a car while it was driving and hopping back in. Or, yeah, maybe. Yeah, you know. something. Maybe dancing while he was doing it or something. Exactly. TikTok algorithm to pick him up, but 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 that video experiment didn't work. And he talked about doing video several conferences ago, and he always brings it up. So I I was kind of surprised that that didn't work because I would think in an era of potential deep fakes and other sorts of things, if you can still tell when somebody's being genuine and real, I don't know if this is going to be the case in six months when Sora and HeyGen and all these other video generators are pretty much replicating us. But for right now, it wasn't something that could have been easily done by technology. And the, the desire to connect with other people and to have interaction, he found the best opportunity was in his emails. And he tried something in his emails. He went long form, no links, we're not expecting you to click back and come to our website. We're not trying to increase our, our click-through rates. But everything was in the email and asked the readers how they liked it and they loved it. And leveraging good old-fashioned email in an era of AI-generated video and audio and imagery and content creation was showing him the best results so far, at least at this point in time, of any of the other platforms that he have that he's been trying. And when Ann Handley, one of the speakers that kicked off on Tuesday morning, heard that, she of course mentioned it because she does a ton of writing and content creation and you know does not like to use AI and was really excited because she loves writing newsletters and sharing her story and being very much a storyteller. And I think that is one of the things that I think we're going to try to bring back to our banking customers is what is the story? What is the message? What is the community that you're trying to build out of the story that you're conveying? I haven't figured out exactly how to do that yet because banking tends to be a pretty private thing. And some banks were successful creating Facebook groups during PPP and bringing people together and sharing you know, questions and frustrations about getting financing and what's going to happen with COVID. But there doesn't seem to be a common rally cry right now. But that is uh, one of the big things that a lot of these creators were talking about is how can that community and the connection be facilitated in, in this online space? That, that's interesting. I'm, I'm very curious. And, you know, there's three kind of things that I, I think about thinking about that result that Michael got with the email. I, I think like is was it the the medium? Did people prefer like the simplicity of the text and the long form message and you know not graphics and not video and, and not links and not the rest? Was it the the message or was it um, the audience? You know, I'm assuming. As a good marketer, he had a, a permission-based double opt-in list of people that he was he was sending this to. This was not a, a spam kind of spray and pray approach. Yep. Or, or yep. do you think? It, or do you think it was it was a combination of the three? Like, what do you think was the lever that really kind of moved that? I I think I mean it's definitely not 
a spray and pray. I think he has been very conscious about growing and, and even I think in past social media marketing worlds talked about, you know, having his list just eviscerated by mail houses because of perceived how it was grown and, and the struggle with deliverability and, and everything else that goes on as you're trying to send email to recipients. So I think the audience was just ready for it. And I think a lot of it might have been that the audience was just kind of tired of all that. I think there was a lot of mention of LinkedIn's newsletter functionality and how it's tied to articles with creator mode. And once creator mode is finally deprecated and that disappears and everybody then gets access to newsletters if you want it and you get access to events, both live video and audio events if you want it. You get access to the ability to have somebody follow you versus connect with you. But newsletters were, and I know I'm shifting gears here, but newsletters were a huge opportunity presented from a LinkedIn perspective because you basically can thumb your nose to the algorithm. It doesn't matter what LinkedIn says, who needs to see it. If you put it in a newsletter, it goes out. It shows on your feed, but it also goes to everybody's email that's associated with their account on LinkedIn. And so it could very well be that there's more, or I guess a revisitation of trust in at least brands that we believe in being ready to get it that way versus I get into TikTok and maybe the For You page was kind of a novelty, but now that Facebook has introduced it, I heard Mari Smith, who is like the, the Pied Piper of all things Facebook, she's amazing, you know, now that Facebook has adjusted its algorithm to more of a discovery engine, they're getting a little pushback because I get into Facebook, I go to Facebook to see my friends and I'm getting all this crap from people that I don't know, which is what you got in TikTok. But that was okay for TikTok because it was brand new and you didn't know anybody. But at the end of the day, I don't think Facebook really cares because their business model, TikTok's model, everybody with the exception of LinkedIn, their model is to monetize ad revenue and visibility. whereas you know, a small percentage of revenue from LinkedIn is generated through ads. The rest of it is about network, connections, subscriptions, you know, navigator, buy HR and get the, the recruiter, pay for LinkedIn learning and get access to training. So their algorithm, their business model is, is vastly different than the other social networking platforms. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's definitely much more diversified. I I love that like kind of leaning into what I might call like substantive content, and and I, I've noticed the uptick in LinkedIn newsletters, um, Substack, and some of the other platforms where you can have you know free or even paid kind of you know distribution where people are opting in. I've definitely seen that be more more and more popular. Like, do, do you do you think banks can harness that? Do you think that's something that is? Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tie this into SEO. Given the lack of sleep, I think I'm doing a really good job of remembering all these little nuances of uh, of, of what I learned over the last two and a half days. I'm gonna tie it back to SEO a little bit, and and so let's let's kind of stay on the newsletter, its own content, so you control it. It's yours. It goes to who you want it to go to. You know, Google and Yahoo came out at the beginning of February with their DMARC verification requirements to make sure email 
is validated and more sender friendly, which was really great from our perspective, because a lot of our banks are actually dot bank banks. They've embraced the dot bank top level domain extension. DMARC functionality already had to be in place for a bank to be able to pass the dot bank requirements because of their security. So majority of our banks, it was a non-issue. The only questions that we got from banks that were wondering what do we need to do were the banks that were still on a dot com because they hadn't jumped that hurdle yet. But the email is your owned channel. You've got owned, earned, and paid. So it's your owned channel. You control it. You know where it goes. And in an age where AI is starting to displace search and traffic and organic visibility because people are going to platforms like ChatGPT and Perplexity and Claude and Google Gemini and asking questions that you would normally have to scroll through the first 10 listings on a search results page to come to a website to get an answer for, they're getting it conversationally through these large language models. And so if you're relying on spreading your message through visibility, through blog content and FAQs and product pages, that's not going to happen. It's going to continue to decrease. I don't know if it's decreasing as fast in the banking industry as what everybody else was saying, because again, banking is a little bit of an anomaly outside of e-commerce and some of these other people that are here at Social Media Marketing World. But as traffic to your website starts to decline and you've got messaging, you've got content, you've got info that you want to share, whether it's cybersecurity or financial information or home buying tips, if people aren't coming to you, you're going to have to go to them, but get permission to go to them and and make sure that the value is there. So the, hey, let's do an extract of all 10,000 online banking customers and stick them in an email platform and send them a blast with six different things in it. All, that is a strategy that unfortunately still goes on, not just in banking, but in all industries. Thinking more strategically about that owned message that's showing up in somebody's inbox is, I think, one of the probably many takeaways that is a coachable moment for any business, banks included, to say, how do you take that opportunity for that conversation, that communication, and get them info and and get it delivered, get it in their eyeballs so that they can read it and understand it and digest it, but then Maybe it's not, did they come back to the website? Because they got what they needed when they read the newsletter. They got what they needed in their inbox and then boom, archive and I'm done. And that's okay that we don't see inbound links coming from our newsletter in Google Analytics because maybe that's just going to be the way things are going to be in the future. I, I find like with, with all of the like hard, hard pivot in the last five, seven years to measurability and metrics. I feel like a lot of marketers are going to have a hard time dealing with that as a reality. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that may be a good segue to Chris Mercer's session on GA4. So he goes by Mercer. And uh, I've heard him speak a number of times. And I always show up planning on leaving his session feeling dumber than when I walked in. <laughs> I love I is, love sessions like that. Yeah. I mean it's uh it's but there's a reason for that. And and the he lives inside of analytics and I don't think anyone that's been inside of GA4 
this is not going to come as a shock, but when the question was asked at the beginning, you know, how many people feel comfortable in Google Analytics for and, you know, not a lot of hands went up. And then how many of you enjoy working in it? Pretty much no hands were up. And it's and it changes. And even he said, you know, I got something that wasn't in my slides that I had to put in last night because somebody on the team just discovered it. It's not in the documentation. It's not in a help. It didn't go out as a, you know, but boom, now all of a sudden we've got an, another data layer that just showed up as far as data retention goes that we didn't even know existed. One of his technicians discovered it. That's in, it's, in, it's insane to me. So like I'm picturing the room. It's a room of social media professionals, people that are advising clients, you know, maybe some content creators, probably a lot of, of agency and, and maybe in-house execution type people. Google, you know, still kind of 800-pound gorilla when it comes to measurement and metrics. And very few hands go up to say, I am comfortable and, and, and feel good about my level of understanding of the platform. That just blows my mind. It's, it's very much a cake that's been in the oven not long enough, and they keep pulling it out. Oh, not right yet. And they shove it back <laughs> in. Let it bake a little more. Oh, not right yet. Shove it back in. So I'm not going to even attempt to, to break down Mercer's content, but he, he broke it into like three main areas. And there are ways that you can go in. And now that I've discovered, I'm definitely going to have to go back and rewatch the sessions. But there is flexibility. And, and he said, realize this platform is built for engineers, not marketers. So it is very powerful, but it is not marketing friendly. So it's not a surprise that marketers find it very, very off-putting. But from an engineering perspective, it has a lot of capabilities. And so formatting the data, I learned that there are things that you can do that I didn't realize. There's a, a library that you can house custom reports in. You can develop customized funnels. You have the ability to tailor specific events back to actions and activities that go on on your website. And you can even define them as to, and if, you know, a super duper checking account open, you can, it doesn't have to be a conversion on a URL. If that's what you want to call it, because your checking accounts are super duper checking and you want to call it super duper checking conversion, you can go in and manipulate all of that. And then getting into reporting identities, attribution. And I'll be honest, we've not really even scratched the surface much on attribution. And it's an area that I think we probably need to spend some time on. But where did it come from? Was it social? Was it an advertisement? Was it organic? How long do you want to? Are you watching the activity for 90 days or seven days? And where Fred came to my website and uh, decided to sign up for my newsletter or decided to click the button and go into online account opening. You saw an ad, you engaged on Facebook, you opened up an email newsletter blast. Which one of those do I need to attribute as to why you became a customer or you decided to start the application. And so there's a lot of different ways to do that. And the, the answer, the answer is all of them. The question exactly. is, the question exactly. is how do you distribute? What ratio do you use? <laughs> yeah. Yep. And the defaults that Google provides aren't necessarily the ones that you want to stay with because you need to understand the business model. But 
he did a really good job of walking us through that. And that's definitely one that we're going to be spending some time going back and revisiting for sure. But data was also very high on the list from everybody's perspective as to what's going on, what's happening, how long are they watching videos, how long are they staying on a page. Even LinkedIn, when Richard Bliss, who was one of the supporters of the the recently released LinkedIn algorithm report, dwell time is gotten even more important as to the amount of time that you spend on a post on LinkedIn is an indicator of how valuable it is. Whether you click a like, whether you share it, whether you comment on it, if you're there reading it and it's long form content, you know, that time that you spend looking at it is going to increase the likelihood that, you know, hey, you looked at Fred's post, read the whole thing. It took you a while. Tomorrow, you're going to see more of Fred's stuff because we know that you're interested based off of dwell time. Most of my stuff is confusing and takes a while to get through. So I, well, I'm, know, I'm really juicing that dwell time metric. If, <laughs> if, if, if you paid attention in English class when you were in school, it might have helped a little bit. <laughs> no, joking, I, of course. <laughs> joking, of course. So you, you've teased it twice now, and I haven't taken the bait, but I got to pivot Ooh. a little bit. And I don't even know I've teased it. What did I tease you, you with? You, AI. You brought AI up twice. And oh, then, I did And then that. in the answer, you kind of pivoted a little bit. But I got to come back, right? Like, you know, I looked at the, I looked at the sessions, right? Like, it seemed like AI was almost every other session was at least, you know, part of, you know, AI was at least part of the topic. So, you know, I'm a bank, I'm a credit union, I'm some other financial brand. How, how can I effectively use AI for things like creating content or personalization or customer engagement? What, what's, what's the latest? Yes, yes to everything. I, I just, will start- just take, take all my PII and send it to ChatGPT. <laughs> Got um, it. That, that was Fred, not Eric, just for the record. <laughs> so, no, that is definitely not what you want to do. Lots. I'm trying to really frame my response in a concise manner here for our listeners. It is first and foremost a activity, a tool, an enhancer, if that's even the right word, that we will all have to deal with or get the opportunity to work with in the not too distant future. It is. It is. N- it is not something that we can say I don't want it. And I've I've heard banks that have, you know, do these marketing forums for various state associations. We talk a little bit about it. We've get marketing people and they're like, "Yeah, my IT department said we'll never have ChatGPT in in uh, in these four walls. We're never going to have it." Um, and I heard that from banks that we're, we're never going to be on Facebook. We're never going to allow this. And I even heard some banks say that when email got introduced. That's how long I've been doing this. <laughs> um, like we're never going to do email. You could, you could attach a virus. You could leak customer info. Uh, it's just too much of a threat. And these, these, these coming, ATMs, they're just a passing fad. Exactly. Why, who's going to want to get a, money from a, from a pin pad? So, <laughs> but I think that's coming from ignorance. Not ignorance just because, not not dumb, but it's just you don't know. You don't yeah. understand it. It's not been something that you've been exposed to. And, of course, everybody hears the horror stories. Of, I say, yeah, let, let's be so, fair, right? Like, it, it's a little apprehensive, right? Whether it's, absolutely. you know, people, and yeah, I said it in jest, but, like, people copying and pasting 
sensitive information and putting it into a chat bot with the best of intentions, right? Maybe trying to like write a good customer email or something to reach out. I, I just saw it would, it would have been a topic on the round table this week, but there was that case up in Canada of the, the airline air Canada that lost uh, a case where a customer had gone to the chat bot, asked about a bereavement fare policy, gotten bad information from the chatbot, Air Canada tried to say, hey, we're not responsible for what the chatbot says. And the judge was like, you're 100% responsible for what the chatbot says, right? Absolutely. But it's hard, right? It's a black box. You don't know what's coming out. I I get that level of apprehension. I think that the question is, like, did we learn anything about how to tackle that? Right. I think the... The last session that we had, the closing keynote was Michael Stelzner from the Marketing AI AI Institute. And he kind of blew everybody's mind with all sorts of stuff during his presentation. But then at the end, when he was kind of answering that question, not for banking, but just for social media people in the room, is if your organization doesn't have an AI council, if your organization doesn't have an AI policy or a procedures document, or you have not spent the time to inventory business processes, functions, and other activities that humans are doing that could potentially be augmented, enhanced, or maybe replaced by technology, not because you want to get rid of the human, but because, you know what, I don't really need Fred churning through all of these reports. Fred's a really great guy. I would rather have Fred out with customers. I would rather have Fred picking up the phone and calling and thanking people for their business. I would rather have Fred out visiting the various offices and doing trainings and talking about the things that we need to be talking about as humans and allowing technology to take some of these other activities. So it was about look at your organization and start documenting what is going on inside the organization and looking at, because people are using it. If you are in an organization and you're thinking that, well, nobody's using this because we haven't allowed it and we don't have a policy, that is not the case. Because just like they go to the bathroom and check Facebook on their phone, they're doing (laughs) the same thing, their devices with these AI tools. And so if we don't provide, which is even a greater risk, if we don't provide training, guidance, what you can and can't do, you know, you're, I know you said it in jest, but if I don't know that I'm not supposed to load personally identifiable information into the system and I grab some info and I think, oh, I hear it does a good job of analyzing stuff. And I do that because I've not been told that I shouldn't. I'm not doing it because I want to get the company in trouble or I want to violate customer privacy. I'm just doing it because none of this stuff has an instruction manual. ChatGPT, OpenAI, Sam Altman didn't say, oh, and by the way, read this manual so you know how to drive this car. He said, here's a Lamborghini and figure it out. And well, you figured out it can drive across water. I figured out it can go climb trees. Somebody else figured out that it can actually fly. But we don't know if that's really what it should or shouldn't be doing. Right. And, And oh, by the way, if you hit it in just the wrong spot, it bursts into flames. It bursts into flames and you die and yeah, and, <laughs> and, you know, but you know, there's that no big deal. And so thinking about, you know, and he was talking to a lot of the people that were in the audience that may not necessarily have senior positions, you know, you and I are owners of the business. So 
I would like to say what we say goes, but that maybe isn't always the case. That sounds a little pompous and arrogant. But for a marketing manager that, you know, maybe isn't the decision maker, that can be an intimidating thing. But take the initiative, come back and say, let's learn, get educated, the podcasts and, you know, all the resources that are out there to be able to educate yourself on what's going on. And then determine what it is that you want to do, pick a use case, try it, come back and talk about it. You know, this AI council or task force, whatever you want to call it, but document some things. And then from a documentation perspective, as we're doing things like prompting and giving the, the, the models instructions, making sure that you're creating a repository of where those instructions are housed. So if you write a prompt that's really good, then I can get to it and then I can try it. And if there's a way that I can tweak it and make it even better to get even better results, then I put it in there because otherwise you got everybody in the organization working their own and nobody's collaborating and that's not good either. So I've even talked, I even talked to a couple of organizations that are not willing, say willing, they're not at a point yet to invest in kind of building their own model or building their own stuff, but like they're building that infrastructure around it. So they're, they're pretty, very, very lightweight uh, web applications where, you know, in one, one of the benefits is you don't have to have 50, 100 people running around with their own subscription. They're leveraging one API framework and they're building a lot of those prompts like in there, right? So you go to a, an institution, a bank, you know, website, you know, inside, uh, the internet, you load it up, it's got different prompts for different things, you kind of like copy-paste your stuff in there, it sends it out, they're trying to put some compliance framework around it. So there's definitely some people that are starting to think about how to do that. It's the exception, at least in my experience so far. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Andy Crustadina did a really good session on kind of leveraging AI for content creation for your website. And he was talking about, you know, walking through the process of building a customer persona or your your ideal customer profile and, you know, spending like the first four or five steps in the process before you even get to creating the content is documenting what it is, who you're talking to, what their buying signals are, and then what he was doing is feeding in examples of what they have created to teach the engine of what the expectation and the outcome should be and and not necessarily just relying on whatever open ai came across but it's like no i want it to sound like this i want it to behave like this and giving giving examples and and that was uh, that was a really really amazing session that it sounds it sounds fast. I'm curious. So, like people like Andy and kind of his recommendations, are they going right to you know ChatGPT, you know Claude, or, or some of the other commercial like big, well, kind of call um, wide application platforms? Or are they going to some of the specialty tools that are out there? Any any uh, kind of secret sauce around that? From what I could tell, they were all going back to ChatGPT. And a lot of people were using the custom GPTs that are part of GPT-4, GPT Pro. You pay your 20 bucks, people. Get access to it. Because then you get Dolly, you get image uh, and video creation, you get access to data analysis. 
used to be code interpreter. They've given it a new name now that doesn't sound nearly as nerdy. But being able to take your data and understand it better, that is really, and it didn't, people didn't come right out and say, if you're not doing it, you're crazy. But it was kind of like, if you're not, you're not doing it, much, you're missing out. You're missing the for what, for what you're getting, you really should be. But they were building custom GPTs. And these were released probably, what, maybe four months ago, five months ago? Yeah, yeah very, very, like even... That. It may not have been that long. It may, may not have been pretty recent. Long, so. yeah. But building these custom GPTs with all this training knowledge, this is what you do. This is what you know. This is how you react. This is how you respond. This is the information that you need to collect. And then you can go in and you can refine it and you can narrow it down and you can give it better instructions so that it produces information for you. We've My, my buddy from Mexico who's telling me the things that they're doing for content creation and building out GPTs at the client level, it, it was just really, really phenomenal of, of how the instructors, teachers, speakers down there were really just leaning into the tool and, and they use it as a tool. It is not a replacement. It is not, you know, it's not going to take your job, at least not for the next several years. It's way away from that. But it is a tool to help you, like Microsoft Word is a tool that you use, but you still have to write the words. It's you know, it, it's kind of along those along those lines. It, it it saves you on liquid paper and typewriter ribbons, but you still have to create the content. You're taking me back to high school now, aren't you? You've been like <laughs> so I, I'm I'm curious, like for you, like personally, like have you had any discussions? And obviously, like don't out anybody, but like around, you know, banks or other institutions creating their own GPTs and their own voice, you know, do you have any idea, like, if somebody's listening and they're interested in that, like, how much content does that take to really, like, hone in on what that should sound like? Do I need, like, 100 blog posts? Do I need, like, 10? Like, what's the, what's the secret sauce there? Yeah, so Andy over at Orbit, he, ah, uh, I know this is going to sound, he either said, this is going to sound really crazy when I say it, but I'm going to preface this by saying two and a half hours of sleep. It was either like 50 or 500. I know I had a five and a zero. It could have had an extra zero, but it was, it was a lot or it was really a lot. But the articles that he, that he posted, what, what springs to my mind more so is my conversation with Carlos and his team and their process that they've been doing when his technicians are building out custom GPTs for his clients, he says it takes them about 15 hours to build that out through a very detailed and structured process of putting information in, asking a question, putting more information in, refining the output, putting more information in, loading examples, brand standards, writing guides. When they work with a client, they're putting in that amount of time to make sure that that GPT is as on point and relevant to that organization as it can possibly be. And then that allows his team to go back into that and say, we're working with brand X, let's, let's have a discussion. And it's not all content generation blog post. it's strategy, it's product generation, it's policies and procedures, it's employee training. It's all of those things that go into that, but you're training your own Einstein on brand 
with your culture, your mission, your vision, everything that you want that Einstein to know about you is going into that process. And it's a perpetual refinement effort to keep it on task and on point. And each one of their clients has got its own little Einstein that it's created as its own custom GPT. And when I heard him say that, my light bulb just went off and, you know, and I still had another day and a half to go to the conference drinking out of the fire hose. So I was getting my mind blown from Carlos and all the speakers that were there. I mean, I'll say this, like, again, like you think I heard you say 15 hours. I don't know like what he and his team charge, but I'll just say like when, when I was working for some of the big consulting firms, the partner that, you know, they'd bill me out at, at, you know, six, $700 an hour, you know, even if you're saying $700 an hour, 15 hours team before you're, you're fit, what, 50 grand? Like that's not, that's not even a, a half-time employee for the year. So if you're getting that kind of value from that kind of investment, I, I think it's like a no-brainer to at least dip your toe in the water, right? Like you know, see, see what that's going to look like. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I, there's another, I, and I don't think you, you've talked about it yet. There was one of the, the sessions I saw, I think it was Andrew Davis, and it was a little bit light on description, but the title absolutely fascinated me about a digital doppelganger. Yeah. And it's really it's really scary to think about like even another like real life Fred, but a digital Fred out there, I'm not sure. <laughs> what was that session well, all about? You you first would need to give it a new name. So it would be something like Fredini. Ah. Frederico. Maybe we could do like a Fred and Eric hybrid. So it still wouldn't have any hair, but you'd have a little more gray in your beard, maybe. But Andrew Davis, I actually had the opportunity to see Andrew Davis for the very first time a long time ago at this conference out in New Jersey called Bank Social Media Conference, like the first bank social media conference ever. And he showed up and just blew our minds with social media at the time. It was, let's see how many banks are posting pictures of them giving away big checks. And he <laughs> went on and on and on. And the crowd was just roaring, but everybody was like, guilty, guilty, guilty. But Andrew Davis, if you don't know him, I would strongly suggest finding him, track him down on YouTube, get some of him. But it was the digital doppelganger, how to supercharge your content and your work using the magic of AI. And he introduced his doppelganger, his, his, his likeness called Drew Dini. He took a picture, he put it into mid-journey, came up with variations, created a hipper, cooler looking version of himself. He used HeyGen to turn that picture into a talking avatar. But behind the scenes, he was feeding Drudini information about his writing style, the process that he goes through when he books a new speaking gig, how he writes his scripts. Because whenever he does a new conference, he always writes a script. He always records it and shares it with the audience. Hey, guys, it's Drew Davis, and I'm going to do and he like talks about coming to Orlando or coming to San Diego and all the other people that are there. So he, he, he is amazing at what he does. And he taught Drew Dini through countless hours of consulting and coaching and feeding of data and examples how to essentially emulate what it is that he would say 
and how he would talk and how he would write and the content that he would produce and did it in an absolutely hysterical, like I had tears running down my face. I was laughing that hard at points, but was able to convey the idea of having a digital assistant that basically becomes you. And to a lot of people in the audience, that creeped them out. To some, like myself, it was pretty intriguing because there are some people in organizations where you are just, you are the subject matter expert and that relies on you. That's a big pressure. The team needs access. And if you're not there, the team gets slowed down. And so if you can take some of your knowledge and your insight and your capabilities and you can kind of put that into an agent or some sort of a digital doppelganger that is available when you're not to be able to help with things, I could see where there's real power with that. The entire presentation that he delivered at Social Media Marketing World was co-created by him and Drew Dini. They would go back and forth and he would ask questions. Well, what do you think this slide should be? And this, this. And, and so he actually collaborated with this digital entity because it basically was him, but it was in areas smarter and it could bring different perspectives and do better, faster, more efficient analytics and other sorts of things. But natural language, knowledge extraction, just absolutely mind-blowing of of what he he's got i don't know as if the entire presentation is available online someplace but i'm sure he's got excerpts of it on his youtube channel that you can go check out i i suppose available to anybody that purchased the all access pass well and if you've got an all access pass you're gonna get that (laughs) as well so if you want to come over to my house and have some popcorn we can watch it together and watch party i love it yeah a watch party but He did something kind of interesting where he basically, at a couple of points in his presentation, he said AI is really IA, and IA stands for intelligence augmentation. So it wasn't artificial intelligence, it was intelligence augmentation. And that was really kind of cool because that reinforced a theme that I heard some of the others, like Chris Penn and Andy again over at Orbit, talking about this is not your replacement, this is a tool to make you faster, smarter. Imagine if you want to run a a four-minute mile and if you could put some special shoes on and some braces on your legs and all of a sudden you become the bionic man on an avatar, it just makes you run that faster. You can do more. You can be more places. You can achieve more than what you could without it. And, And that, yeah. So I could probably ramble on a lot about a lot of these sessions, but Drew's was actually probably one of the most entertaining and insightful ones that I saw in the two and a half days that I was down there. If you get a yeah. chance to see Andrew Davis, jump at it. The jump at it. I, at I it. definitely will. No, the, the whole thing's fascinating, right? Like to me, I, I put it in the same category as they put like, you know, private jets, right? For, for years, that's how senior executives and companies have kind of justified the expense, right? Like it's a, it's an effort multiplier. I can be that much more effective if I'm not, going through TSA and, you know, waiting for commercial flights or anything like that. Yeah. You know, this is a way to, like, be uh, an effort multiplier that does not cost what a, what a G4 or a G5 is, is going to cost you per hour to fly. I yep. think, like, for me, like, what comes up is obviously if it's your secret sauce and it sounds like it is, that needs to be built and stored in a way that, it's proprietary to you, right? Like you don't want to then like let the secret sauce get out. So 
but but other than that, like if you know, if that problem is solved, I think that's a, a phenomenal. I look forward to the day that there is a Fredini sitting in this chair. Uh, I can go I can go live uh, in Belize and and dive every day and <laughs> just wait, yep, let the chicks keep coming in. Life, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> totally. 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 So. Uh, no, that that was that's phenomenal. I, I want to pivot back away from AI. I know I appreciate you being generous with with uh, your sleep deprived time. I wanted to ask something. And I know well, you're fired up on AI now, so I'm I'm oh. good for at least the next uh, the next ten minutes. Perfect. Well, <laughs> well uh, I'm going to pivot away. Unfortunately, I'm going to pivot to something else that I think might also light your fire a little bit. I saw on the agenda a lot of sessions where they talked about leveraging you know, video content, video marketing, engagement, you know, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, etc. Ironically, it's President's Day week. You posted earlier this week one of my absolute favorite videos ever from Central National Bank, their President's Day video. I think Down it's like yep. Yeah. I, I think it's it. like ten years old, right? Yeah. Ten and, years old this year. Oh, ten yep. years old this year. Perfect. And so it's been ten years. And still, I don't think most banks get social video. Like, I don't, I, I, for me, I'll say that's the gold standard of what I've seen out of financial institutions. There may be some that are newer and better out there, but it's definitely the exception, not the rule, right? The rest of everything is kind of like the video equivalent of the big check pictures. So, yeah, yeah. How can banks finally get it and get in on this video engagement? Um, I, I think there is, because I mean, there's banks that are producing video, but it's, and I'm going to say this with all love and respect as a former banker myself, but they are very much bank videos. It's maybe the commercial that they did on the local cable or the TV station, or it's a talking head just kind of, you know, giving good information, but it's not really anything exciting or fun to watch. And right now in today's attention-starved world, it's got to have some sort of an entertainment value associated with it if you're going to have any sort of chance of somebody wanting to watch it and engage with it. And and so I, I just think that there is the hesitancy from what I'll say, the people that probably should be, you know, the the, the two gentlemen that are on the, the President's Day video, I think president and CEO and an executive vice president. And they are naturals on camera. If you've not seen the video, you got to, but they're unbelievable. They're comfortable. You, you would look at them and go, oh, this bank hired some actors to do this. And that's not the case. But that is definitely the exception, not the norm. People in that position, role, whatever, probably want to be seen as more professional. They want to not be vulnerable. They don't want to make themselves look silly. But I think that's one of the things that makes video such a powerful medium. And one of the things they talked about in a lot of different sessions was the vulnerability, embrace the weirdness. If you try to make everybody happy, you're not going to influence anyone. You have to be okay with a little bit of controversy. That's always been a challenge for bankers. And not to say that you got to come out and say you're, you know, pro dog versus pro cat. I went cat versus dog versus something else that could be more polarizing. But 
you know, being able to come out and stand up for something and run the risk of someone jumping on the video and saying, I don't believe that, or you're wrong, or how could you say that? Because when you do that, that means you're resonating with a particular with a particular group. Now, granted, I don't think anybody was going to say, I don't even know if that video President's Day has even one thumbs down on, uh, <laughs> unless it's historical buffs that truly want to debate whether Samuel Adams was a president of the United States of America. But, you know. <laughs> How could he get a beer named after him if he wasn't, right? Right. And and Benjamin Franklin for that matter. Yeah, and Benjamin Franklin. Discovered <laughs> electricity, best president next to Samuel Adams. So um, I've heard the video a few times. But I think it's that being vulnerable, being on camera, it's one of the reasons why I like doing the LinkedIn Live audio events. And I think that that's at least a good proxy opportunity for bankers to be able to explore a live event to connect with others is it takes the risk or the threat or the fear of being on camera and having people see you because I might, I might look uncomfortable. I might not have the right clothes on. My tie might be crooked. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons why people don't like to see themselves on camera, but just being comfortable with that conversation, it's just not a world that they've grown up in. And Maybe that doesn't need to be there. Maybe, and there's a lot of like faceless video content now that can be created. And I'm not saying that you've got robots without eyes and noses walking around that look like zombies, but you can take B-roll, you can take footage that doesn't necessarily have to have the person in it. It could have the voiceover, it could have narrative. You could do the voice in 11 labs and it sounds just like your CEO if you wanted to do that, conveying your message and sharing your story without you ever having to show your face on video. There's so many different ways to be able to leverage video as a medium to communicate your message without having to be comfortable with just, as Brian Fanzo says, press the damn button. You know, back in the day, trying to get people to, to do video and to go live you know, just press the button. It's going to be okay. The first one's going to suck. The next one's going to suck a little less. And then eventually they're not going to be bad at all. They're going to actually be really good and people will like them, but you got to get over that hump. But that's like anything in life. So, yeah. yeah. No, I, th- I think it's all great advice. I'm, I'm a little surprised. One of the things you said was like people, have, you know, they haven't grown up in it. And, you know, now, now 10 years later, right, I'm, I'm in my late 40s, you know, and I, I didn't exactly grow up with, you know, everybody has a camera in their pocket all the time, but it wasn't that far behind me, right? Like there's plenty of, you know, like I wouldn't even say new, but seasoned bank professionals that have grown up with, with everybody has a camera in their pocket all the time that I am sure are posting on their own individual personal channels, their own personal content. Yeah. I just don't know why it hasn't translated yet to... And, and just like the AI council that I talked about earlier, as it relates to artificial intelligence, and yes, I just worked artificial intelligence back into the conversation. So thank you. You're very a one much. trick pony, man. You're a one trick. Boom, boom. <laughs> um, but if you're listening to this and you are thinking your organization should be using video and it's not, come up with your own video council. Come up with a media council. Come up with some sort of an initiative within the organization to put together a business plan as to why 
how, what you're going to talk about, examples of others that are doing it, whether in or out of the industry, and and use that as a as a as a springboard for inspiration. And not that you need to just start posting videos to your organization's Facebook or Instagram or whatever account without permission, but don't necessarily approach it as, hey, do you think we can do this? It's, I think we need to do this because these are the things that people, and this is the reason why, and here's the trends that we're seeing, and here's what our competition's doing, or here's what other industries are doing so we can we can we can create the same connections these other industries are doing, but we can do it in the banking industry because nobody else is doing it. And and put together that is to say, don't ask for permission, but don't necessarily beg for forgiveness either. But go at it as a this is what we want to do, why we want to do it, how we're going to measure it, how we're going to mitigate the risk, and what we're going to do with the learning, and frame it as a pilot. Sometimes that works when we do like LinkedIn training. It's like, oh, we're going to do a we're going to do a LinkedIn pilot. We're going to take some loan officers, some branch managers. We're going to do some stuff on LinkedIn just to see if it works. And the word pilot feels very much like, oh, it's temporary. It's not like we're doing this forever because you know if it doesn't work, we don't have to do LinkedIn anymore. But you can do a video pilot just to see how it works, measure some results. You might be able to surprise some people within your organization. And I bet if you were to release it, you'd probably get a lot of individuals at that younger level that would be like, oh my gosh, it's about time. I've got so many cool ideas. We could do this. We could do this. Not all of them maybe would be appropriate in the banking space, which is where you need to kind of kind of tailor that from an expertise perspective, but be open to ideas and do it as a pilot and see if you could get it to actually fly. And if you do, let us know because I can tell you the two of us right here are going to want to follow and engage and and uh, celebrate in your success. So don't hesitate to reach out and tell us when you're doing it. A- absolutely. In fact, heck, I'd, I'd love to put a panel together, listeners, anybody out there that's leaning in, being bold and and taking that risk and, and really putting something out there. I'd love to, to have you on and, and talk about what yeah. that experience was. I think yep. a lot of people could could benefit from that. Eric, this has been phenomenal. Again, I appreciate your your cappuccinos are probably wearing thin at this point. Thank you for right. hopping on. I did have a Red Bull too, so I, I can't. <laughs> uh, they they do give you wings. They um, do. All, always bold, always uh, in with the insight, and I appreciate it. Uh, as we wrap up, uh, anything like again, you have a hundred pages of notes. We probably only covered like the first 10. Anything like that you wish I had asked you about that you didn't get to tell our audience about coming out of social media marketing world? There's, there's so much. I, I guess the, the one strategy that made a lot of sense to me as it relates to video, just to kind of tie it back and, and then we'll, we'll end for the day. And I appreciate the listeners hanging in there with us. So there was a process called Date Your Followers, D-A-T-E. So Jerry Potter was the gentleman that delivered this. Had a really inspiring backstory that I won't go into, but if you find him online, kind of learn a little bit about his journey. It's really pretty impressive. But each one of those letters stands for a word that represents a process in the video discovery process. And it 
ties back to Instagram Reels if he, or Instagram, the, the video platform options within Instagram. And it, boy, we could do Facebook. It could be TikTok to an extent. But when you're going through that process, just like when you're dating, you don't like, hey, nice to meet you. How many kids are we going to have? I believe was the phrase that he <laughs> gave on stage. And he, that and he, that like, line probably does not work very well. Yeah, probably not a real good pickup line. I mean, he told the, he's like, you're going to be really uncomfortable, but I'm just joking. But, you know, my name is Jerry. How many kids are we going to have? So you got to go through the dating process. When you are first trying to be discovered by your audience, somebody, nobody knows about your institution, about your company, about your organization. They are just discovering you, which is the D. The Reels platform, or in this case, TikTok, is what... The discovery engine, a vast majority of those consistently reach non-followers of your brand. They don't even know who you are. They're getting thrown into the discovery process while you're doom scrolling and you're like, oh, that's kind of funny. Oh, that person's having a good time. Oh, that's, and so that gets you exposure and you got to give them some value. You got to kind of get them coming back. You got to give them some ideas, some thoughts, but that's not the place that you talk about your rates and your fees and your products and your services. You're giving them stuff about what happens, tips, suggestions. Then you get into the A of date, which is now you're an acquaintance. This is where they're going to know a little bit about you. And this is where, if you think of the Instagram journey, these are the posts that you put on your, you know, the pictures with the filters. That's pretty much what I do. But these are the posts because these are people that are connected with you. Those posts can teach a little bit more, share a little bit more about your products and your services. You've, you've caught the attention. Maybe you, you bought the drink across the bar. Exactly. They're looking at you a little bit. You know, bar, you're, you're still bar, not asking I mean, about the kids. Bar, but. Yeah, you haven't, gone for the, you haven't gone for the kill yet. Not at all. But, but now, so you've got that acquaintance. Then you start talking. So that's the T. And this is where they're now interested. Your goal is to try to get them to fall in love with you here. And the T strategy is these stories. These are the items that basically disappear after 24 hours. People are going to come back. They know that they're there. They want to watch them. And this is where you're getting more. You're kind of connecting. You're showing how you're different, the values of the people in your organization, what you stand for. This is where you're really trying to reinforce them you're talking them into whatever it is that you talk people into when you date, because I've not dated in a really, really, really long time. But then the E stands for the enchanted phase. This is where now the kids come. And this could be where they, to use what the vernacular of the cool kids, they slide into your DMs. But they're sending you direct messages. They're communicating with you privately behind the scenes. But that also could be where they decide they want to join you on a webinar or they want to attend an event or they're going to sign up for your newsletter or they're going to maybe if it's an e-commerce, they're going to download a trial or make a purchase or apply or set up an appointment to meet with a loan officer. But you get them enchanted with you and that's when they're now ready to ultimately get married. And once you go through a date, then you get the S at the end dates, and that's when the sale happens. That's when they get the mortgage. That's when they open the account. That's when they come in and say, all right, we want you to be our commercial banking because we want to go through this expansion. We need whatever it is. And so, but each one of those different products that Instagram, which is just, it's one platform. You think they're all the same. 
they all do a very different thing. And your stories, your, 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 well, the story that you're telling in each of those areas needs to have a different personality, different focus, a different vibe to it, or you're missing an opportunity. And I had kind of known that, but I didn't really appreciate it until I sat in his session and the light bulb went off. It's like, you've got to work them through that process. It's the buyer's journey. You're just doing it from a video perspective. And I thought that would be an appropriate thing to end on because we were talking about video and that could go into your little video council initiative as uh, as a strategy and an example of how you could leverage it within your organization. So that's that's my little golden nugget for you there, Fred. I, I love that. And I'll, I'll tell you, I have um, personally been very confused. Like I, I kind of intuitively understood like, those reels, like, you know, they kind of come up like a lot of people I don't follow. And sometimes I found people to follow from reels, like intuitively that made sense. But like the nuance between a post and a story and, and, and I really hadn't thought that through. So at least for yeah. me, that yeah. was, that was really valuable. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a phenomenal framework. Th- this has been a, a fantastic uh, discussion. Like I said, really appreciate it. Obviously, you're going to be back week after week after week. So uh, I appreciate you, you carving out time. <laughs> I appreciate you, though, carving out time to be come back as a guest and not, not just a, a panelist. Obviously, you just got back from San Diego. Anything else coming up? Any, any other uh, conferences or travel in the, in the near future? I am headed down to Indianapolis next week. I'm going to be with the Indiana Bankers Association running their marketing forum. And I will probably have a social media marketing world diarrhea of the mouth uh, at that session. But they are always a great group, hungry for info. And then from there over to Columbus, Ohio for the Community Bankers Association of Ohio, their marketing forum. So I get to do a little driving, which means podcasts and audiobooks uh, and phone calls, but uh, I'm super excited to hang out with some marketing folks and kind of share more of, uh, of this and uh, see what they're thinking. So what about yourself? Where are you off to? I, uh, I think the next conference I have for sure on my calendar is back in the Salesforce world. I'll be attending uh, Trailhead DX at the beginning of March. And then I know for sure that I will be at Financial Brand I think that's in May. There's a couple other things that I am considering in the interim, but I'm I'm definitely not confirmed for them. And just a lot of other you know, kind of client travel over the next couple of weeks. But uh, it it sounds like with all that wheel time, you need a, an Eric Dini. Maybe maybe the Eric Dini can take over the driving, and you can you know do the thinking. Well, when when my wife heard that Tesla's had autopilot, she immediately wanted me to go out and buy one so it could drive me to the airport in Detroit and I could work in the back seat on the way down. And I had to break it to her that it's not quite to that point yet. So I, but I wouldn't I wouldn't try that. <laughs> no, I uh, I would I would not. So, but hey, as always, this has been awesome. I always uh, really enjoy catching up with you and chatting, and I'm sure we could keep talking about a lot of stuff, but uh, this has been great. Thanks for bringing me back as a guest and I'm looking forward to getting back over on the uh, crazy panel side here uh, next time. So can't wait, man. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Take care. See everybody. Well, listeners, I hope you agree with me that that episode did not disappoint 
holy moly, just insight after insight after insight. I was so blown away in just my text with Eric over the course of the week that I've already registered for Social Media Marketing World 2025. If you can, if you're interested, definitely would love to meet up with you all there if you want to register as well. And if not, don't worry. Eric and I will be back and we'll be dropping insights again from next year's conference. Thank you for joining us on episode 23. We hope you really enjoyed it. While you're here, why not take a moment and follow us on LinkedIn at the Banking on Disruption podcast. Until next episode, this is Fred Cadena wishing you success in your digital pursuits. <music>